Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. And J.B. Weld. If you have a repair, a project, if it's around the house, if it's around the shop, no ordinary household glue will work. It's got the word ordinary in it. Let me tell you about J.B. Weld. J.B. Weld epoxy adhesives have been made in the USA for over 50 years. It's the world's strongest bond, everybody. Pros use J.B. Weld because it fixes wood, metal, plastic, and more. They have products for just about every single surface. And if you got a household repair or shop repair, you go with the strength that matters. You go with J.B. Weld. J.B. Weld, world's strongest bond. It's available at Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, True Value, AutoZone, Advanced Auto Parts, Amazon, and more. Don't glue it. J.B. Weld it. Hey, everyone. It's Adam Carolla, and welcome to another episode of Going Racing, the show that highlights the fastest cars, best races, biggest celebrities in the automotive world. And now here's a conversation Matt and I had with Tamir Arden on his film, Framing John DeLorean. So I feel the same way about when I would see somebody in an Audi S8, like from the late 90s or the early 2000s. And I'd go, well, that guy's got some money. But so does the guy in the BMW 7 Series or the Mercedes 6.3, whatever. I don't even know all the Mercedes designations. But that guy thinks a little bit differently. Yeah. Because the Audi S8 at the time was just a cooler. They probably didn't sell near as many units as BMW or Mercedes did. But there was something cool about them. And you want – that guy's discerning. Like that guy knows cars. The other people are rich guys who are driving a nice car, but this guy's a rich guy who knows something about cars. I feel that way with the NSX. Yeah. And when you mention S8, I immediately think Ronin. Yes. The movie, right? Yeah. And 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 by the way, great sounds in that movie. Great engine sounds. Nate wants to put generic guitar just, just over the yeah. That's what it was missing. And then the drums kick in. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. what it was missing. I don't even think there was any. I don't think, now that you mentioned it, I don't know if there was music during those scenes. The well, big as we scene. learned from watching the show, the movie Rendezvous, you need lots of generic guitar. Otherwise, it, 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 it gives you the illusion of speed. Yeah. I remember when he was specking out the car in that movie. He wanted a nitrous kit. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was like kind of the chubby driver guy. And he's like, we need to – yeah, I forgot what he said. Well, as long as we were – nitrous kit on it. We were complaining. You can watch <laughs> Adam Carolla goes racing at Vero, but, but Max Zapata <laughs> does have the clip I was complaining to you about, which is the uh, – I have notes. Yes. And we my, were talking about them on the – Last night. And my notes yeah. for people who do things, Max Apatis had a few of these notes, which is make it better. <laughs> make it better. And I've had to tell people like all the time, like, don't know, don't use that. The race hasn't started yet. You're putting in stuff for when we're going slow, or you got to put a little head on it so we know where we're at, or, or have them shift, or have the sound of the engine loud so you can hear it. So, like, yeah. here's the deal. <clears throat> Here's what we're attempting to do with the editing process. You listening, Max Pana? I don't like how you're putting me in this category. (laughs) We are trying to take things and make them better. 
Yeah, that's, that's the fun. editing process. Yeah. So with jokes, Seems you have to have easy. a little head at the front, a little tail in the rear. It's a little pace, a little timing. Yeah. When you're doing a visual part, you don't take chitty chitty bang bang cars that are beige from the 30s with wooden wheels. You take cool Ferrari GTOs. Yeah, when it's and a racing event. <laughs> when you're doing a in-car footage, you crank up the engine sound and you make this action around you exciting. But you try to keep the generic rock music over the guitars off or down and you try not to use footage from warm-up laps from before the race <laughs> in the body of what? the actual race sometimes there'll be stuff of just pulling onto the track like i'll see footage of me pulling onto the track. I'll go, the race hasn't started i'm pulling yeah. out of the pit oh that's what we got footage of the car so uh i'm insulted i'm in this i was <laughs> now you've, you've elevated your game these were earlier conversations we had but uh, I, again, I don't know. Like I would, I would say to Max Pata, who who has used the phrase "the shoot around." Like I, I've had a million. I've had people edit boxing clips. I've had them do car clips and stuff. And I go, just get all the good, exciting, fast. And then they show you the thing, and you go, "What happened to the big five punch combo?" And they go, oh, "I could put that in there." And it's like, okay, yeah, because you're showing the part where the guy's pulling the mouthpiece out of my mouth and I'm sitting down. <laughs> we want that. And they go, I'll put that in. Yeah. And I go, okay, but why to you. <laughs> but, I mean, Max Patton knows basketball. And just look at it as a highlight reel. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Zion. Is it Williams? What's yeah. his last name? I wish call him Zion. Just Zion. <laughs> they go, like, that guy's going to be the first draft. And then they do what ESPN does 20 seconds. And it's just him in the air, just mashing the ball. <laughs> extended. Right. Down it. Right. All right. So uh, <laughs> now the thing that's funny about this, and you can go to Vero. You go to Vero.com. .co. But uh, you want to download the app on your phone. Download okay. the app and watch Am Corolla goes racing because the cars are bitching and it's something you'll never see. No one covers it on right. the, all the shitty... All those shit car shows they put all over the fucking TV. They never show any good cars or any vintage racing or any anything. It's just seeing the cars in my race are crazy. Yeah, it's a great group. But uh, you can see the in race footage, which is we'll run it for uh, run it for you, and then we'll <laughs> Let's have take a look. Full bonsai Stupid on me. No go car. Guys, that's nuts. That guy flew in. I, I like the... grabbed a ship, but I don't know what happened. I don't know if my hand hit the ignition or something, but the car lost power. Then everybody went around me. Then I pulled off. Then I tried to get it started again. I think the ignition switch was down. I put the ignition switch up. I restarted the car. Got into the race. And yeah. got back into it, but I was right in the middle of it, and then I was like, not right in the middle of it. Watch but this it wheel good. work. I had a good race with a BMW CSL. The guy was going good, kind of behind me. And Literally, as you said the word "race," <laughs> you're going. It's warm up lap. Yeah. Don't use footage from the warm up lap in the race. That's my. It's a pretty. I don't have a lot of requests. There's ten laps. There's one warm up, and they're always. You always can tell because all the cars in front. Of me and me on straightaways are going back and forth, sawing at the wheel. But also you can tell because the engine isn't being revved. I'm on a straightaway and I'm yeah. not revving the engine. Yeah. Okay. Except for the Sunoco guy. He's always racing. <clears throat> so 
whether you're a car guy or not, <laughs> or basketball basketball guy or not, just get get Zion dunking. Yeah, don't get him during the shoot around. Not the not the sitting on the bench with the towel around his neck. <laughs> we need to get one of those uh, aircraft style that red switch protector. You know, you got to flip. We the thing we, of- what we we flipped the switch over or whatever it is, and we did do the switch, and that yeah. was just me. I didn't know what I was doing. It's like a, I was like I was I I. I think what I was doing was I I wanted to like go like what the fuck with yeah, like my like, like a like hand up my yeah. hand up right hand and I, I just hit the I just like went like I was going like what and, and then I like started to grab for the stick shift in between my Italian what the fuck <laughs> and my I got to grab a gear here yeah. and I just kind of like spazzed and you, you and don't hit the notice thing. with the gloves on and everything and the vibration right. and the noise like you would right. know right yeah uh, anyway so we move the switch we took we took the switch. And we turned it over or something so that if your hand hit it up, it wouldn't go up or down. It was just, it was in a space where you, whatever the direction it was, it would be much harder to, to do it now that we flipped it over. Yeah, so yeah. We, we worked on it. Also, I can work on not spazzing out <laughs> in the car. Well, you wouldn't even think that like hitting the switch would be one of the things. But now it's going to be like on your brain. Like now you're going to think. No. If I, something happened, you'd be like, check this switch. I'm, <laughs> check I'm, any of the switches and I'm, the lights. I'm good in that. In that, once I make a mistake like that, I won't make that mistake again. Like I, I won't go near that thing. But there are; it is close to the gear shift it is. knob. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's it could happen. Yeah. Anyway, stupid. But let's not use warm up lamp footage in the body of the race. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, goes without saying, but it has been discussed a number of times. They do. There's an interior version and an exterior version. They like the outside version where the cars are just weaving around going half speed. Right. Okay. Very much warm up. All right. And I say all the time, get the engine going because yeah. that's the real feel. And during the warm up laps, you're not redlining the engine. Yeah, you'll hear the difference in the laps. I mean, one would think. <laughs> yeah. One would, one would assume. <laughs> if you're going down a straightaway and the engine isn't revving. Yeah. That means we're on a warm-up lap. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, it's a good thing these. this is the first time they've ever edited. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> Talk about it all the time. I get five years into it. Oh, love me some JB Weld, everyone. If you have a repair project around the house, big or small, and plan to use ordinary household glue, let me tell you about JB Weld. Ordinary household glue's got the word ordinary right in the title. You don't want that, JB Weld. Epoxy adhesives have uh, been made in the U.S. for more than 50 years. It's the world's strongest bond. Pros use JB Weld because it fixes uh, metal, wood, plastic, and more. They have products for just about any surface. So for your next household repair, use JB Weld. When strength really matters, don't glue it. You got to JB Weld it. We love these guys, and I love that they're still going strong after 50 years and growing. They got super glue, got the polyurethane stuff. It doesn't foam. It's good stuff. JB Weld, world's strongest bond. Available at Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, True Value, AutoZone, Advanced Auto Parts, Amazon, and more. JB Weld. So, uh, Tamir, good to see you, my friend. Thanks for having me on, guys. We make uh, documentaries. We like cars. 
Johnson <laughs> like, NSX. Like, like John DeLorean. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was so sold right before you even walked in. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a very enjoyable movie. Thank um, you. DeLorean's iconic, a very interesting story. His life is wildly fascinating. Uh, I mean, they're, one of the first things they say in the doc is how many movies have been, I don't know if the right word is option, but how many times it's been discussed sort to make a attempted. movie of this guy's life in a, in a way he would be the Freddie Mercury of, of the automotive world, but they've never made a feature. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things. So I had actually been one of those competing projects uh, back in 2009 when there was a flurry of them. So there was my project. There was one with Brett Ratner. There was one with a guy named David Permit. Um, and another guy named Andy Trapani. And what was interesting about it was each project had its own version of John in terms of the fact that they had different intellectual property, different family members attached, and each one proclaimed to be telling the true story, the real story of John DeLorean. So when uh, when I circled back with my directors on this in 2015 and we were discussing fresh ways of approaching this rather than doing just a traditional doc, we thought, well, you know, maybe – cracking the John DeLorean story is going to be the best way doing it through these these various competing projects of the launching off point like why is this man's story so hard to tell why hasn't anyone been able to accomplish it in the last 35 years and so that was really the the sort of starting off jumping off point um, for us obviously came up with the DeLorean was with GM sort of took Pontiac to the performance world with the GTO was a guy who Back in a day with sort of, you know, those old pictures you see it like sometimes at the hardware store or at the car dealership from the 50s where everyone's got the same horn rim glasses mm -hmm. and skinny ties. There's white guys with the brill cream in their hair and stuff. He was the young mod, like fresh, good looking dude with the swagger. Yeah, and bit he, of a playboy. Yeah, and he was sort of poised. You know, he was on the short list of guys who are going to take over GM, like the biggest company in the world, and he broke it off and wanted to do his own thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he was sort of, you know, definitely going in a different direction than most of the people back then. I mean, he you know wore the clothes that they didn't want him to wear. He was dating the people that they didn't want him to date. Um, and, and so from that standpoint, he was sort of a maverick. And, uh, you know, he crossed hair, hairs with GM just one too many times, and that's when they finally had to separate. Did... Do you think but kind of a marketing genius, right? That was a hundred percent. I mean, I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize is he created product placement before the term even existed. So yeah. when, when he was sort of a, a Vince McMahon before hundred you know, percent different world, hundred percent. He was giving away these free cars to all these these uh, Hollywood shows in the '60s, and the GM brass is saying, "What the hell are you giving away thousands of dollars worth of free cars?" And he said, "Well, they're putting it on their TV shows, and then yeah. we're selling all these other cars because of it." And they really couldn't grasp that whole aspect to it. Do you think that and, – and, you know, and those those automotive manufacturers in Detroit and that time period, they, they didn't have the crazy competition with all the Datsuns and Toyotas and Hondas and everything that were pouring in. So they weren't, like, as lean and mean. Like, they weren't thinking – they're, like, they're fat cats. We got we got a monopoly. Mm -hmm. Everyone's rich. What are we giving cars away for? Like, yeah. they, they weren't thinking in an innovative way fashion in looking down the road because they were like alpha alpha predator there was no there was no no japanese cars no anything was coming at no imports no anything yeah um the show is uh the movie which is uh framing john delorean and it's uh available as we speak on video on demand is and in select theaters 
it's a very fascinating tale. And, of course, having Alec Baldwin in it um, as DeLorean and pulling it off, you know, they don't look alike, but with prosthetics and whatnot, he did. Uh, very interesting. So how did we get Baldwin into this project? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where when you look back on it now, it was just meant to be. Um, so the Alec Baldwin was a fan of my director's previous movie, The Art of the Steel, which is also where I connected with them back in 2009. They, they did this incredible documentary. And at that point, I decided I really wanted to work with them to be uh, the directors on the project. Um, and so when we started out on this, we had the concept of doing both the reenactments as well as possibly shooting the reenactments. Uh, but we didn't actually approach Alec until about a year, a year and a half into the production. Uh, we shot the entire documentary and put that together and then figured out which parts would best be served having these reenactment scenes. Uh, when we approached him, he was interested. And when we first got on a phone call with him, he told us the crazy story about how John DeLorean called him a few months before he died in 2004 uh, to ask him if he would portray him in, in a film that, that John at that point was developing with, a, with another producer. And our jaws just about dropped when we heard this because we had no idea that was the case. And, you know, for Alec, he really wanted to make sure, you know, this was coming off the popularity of, of his Trump impersonation or sort of parody mm-hmm. on Saturday Night Live. And he really wanted to approach it as a serious role. He didn't want it to feel like a parody. So for him, it was really can I pull off the look in a way that's going to be convincing? And even he self-admits I'm not as tall as John, I'm not as lean as John, but if he, if he could at least pull off the, the look with the prosthetics and the wig, then he'd be comfortable doing it. And, and fortunately, we did a few tests, uh, test runs at Saturday Night Live, and uh, just with some of the current prosthetics and, and wigs they had, not even the custom one, he saw it, and I saw the twinkle in his eye at one point, and I knew, okay, he's going he's gonna to do this with us. DeLorean had some plastic surgery. He had his chin, had the chin. enhanced or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's what makes him so fascinating is he is a character in himself in terms of the fact that he, he saw that he needed to brand himself in the, in the late 60s and 70s, which meant he was working out. He had the, he had the chin implant. Um, you know, he would dye his hair, dye his hair, you know, eyebrows. Um, he had a little bit of a nose job. I mean, he you constantly tanning himself. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a fascinating like in character. some of the footage – you can kind of see the before and after. You can see like an early image of, of oh, Gloria yeah. without the chin and everything. Right. And you're like, who is this young man? And then you see him older, like, where did he grow that chin? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Normally. But then when you guys clarify it in the film, I'm like, oh, that's – yeah. you kind of have to because you're like, yeah. it's not the same person. I know. It's crazy. Do we look at – so I was kind of thinking about uh, John DeLorean and I was – I saw the film, your film um, – it must have been a couple of weeks ago. So it was on my mind. And a good doc works that way. You, you start thinking about the story and you kind of – sometimes you'll do a dive like, ooh, I want to look into uh, Ayrton Senna. Who was that guy? Prost? Proust? Who was the guy he was racing as teammate, whatever? And you start taking this – you go on the internet and you want to learn more about who these guys yeah. are. And, and that's what a good doc does. Um, so I was in here and it was like on my mind and I was talking to Dr. Drew about it. And I, I have this theory that most people are not good and bad. They're sort of weak. And the reason there's a bunch of construction material dumped on the street behind this warehouse is not because the guys who dumped it are bad. It's because the guys who dumped it are poor and they don't want to pay 100 bucks and take it to the dump in Sunland. So they dump it here. But it's not because they're criminals. It's because it's free. 
yeah. and they don't have money. Yeah. And the reason there's no soda cans in the pile of junk that's dumped over there is because soda cans are worth a nickel apiece. So when the guys <laughs> yeah. are, are dumping the back of their pickup truck at midnight on Tuesday night on this back street, they're not dumping the soda cans. So <laughs> right. are they into recycling? Are they into the environment? Are they good people? Are they bad people? Yeah. No, they're just weak. And, and and when you're weak, you just do – you then get pushed into things that are bad because most people don't have that kind of constitution. So DeLorean, I never thought of as a bad guy, but he was a guy who got himself into trouble. He was like over, over leveraged with his car company. He mm-hmm. needed an influx of cash, and somebody told him you can make it fast by selling drugs. And – I don't think of him as a drug dealer I, or even a criminal. I And you have to also think to yourself, like, what would you do? Like, what if you were really strapped for cash, you needed millions of dollars, and somebody just went, I can get that for you fast. It's going to take a couple of meetings. Like, who amongst us would go, no, drugs are wrong. I'm not going to get involved with that. Or who wouldn't say, tell me more? And I feel that's kind of him, but am I am – I, is, is your assessment that assessment, or is there something I don't know? No, I, th- I think you're you're spot on. I mean, listen, the, the title of the film, Framing John DeLorean, is a double entendre, obviously. We're trying to frame his life through the lens of, of different individuals and people that knew him and sort of let the audience set, decide at the end how they want to come off you know, feeling about him as a person. And a lot of that is very mixed um, in terms of the good. You know, you look at his, his kids and the way they – they see him. You look at the previous business partners, some of which he screwed in very you know bad ways. Bill Collins, the one that created the GTO, and then it was subsequently created the prototype, but then he he shuttled him to uh, to go over with Colin Chapman at Lotus. So you see those moves, and then in terms of the drug bust, you know he, clearly the sting was a frame job from the standpoint that they were pushing him into doing this when he really would never have on his own come up with this idea, but. There was that element of John where he was always looking for that easy way out. And you can see that through other episodes in his earlier in his life. And with this one, you know, he, he never thought he was going to have to sell drugs on the street. He thought it was coming through a legitimate bank. And, and you, we break down for the first time. There's a lot of interviews in this doc that, uh, with people that have never spoken publicly before, including the undercover D agent, other undercover FBI agent, uh, who are in those black and white grainy surveillance footage um, things. And he, you get a sense his character – is definitely on the morally corrupt side once in a while, but you get a sense it's a little bit like this Robin Hood style uh, mentality where he, he's, he's thinking that at the end of the day, I'm doing this for the Belfast workers, I'm doing this for, for my own gain, and it's, it's a little muddled. The, I, I yeah. agree, but except he, he, he still seems like he has this gene. He's got this skewed moral compass a little bit because one hundred percent. Yeah, because you know the the drug bust thing. Yeah, that was a big portion of the film, and it was potentially a frame job of whatever. And you're right; his motivations could have been. As you're watching it, you're like, oh, his motivations are because of all the pe- thousands of people that work there. And then we get a little further in the film. We're like, also, he did the Colin Chapman thing and then stole $17 million yep. and pocketed $9 million. Well, and you're like, well, yeah, because you kind of got that in you. Like he's got a little bit of that in him. 
And that's I, why he wouldn't back away from, you know, like what seemed like an easy drug deal. Just like a little bit of something. There. I may be tipping my hand morally. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, like if you were saying, like, I'm going to start a company, I'm going to raise a bunch of money and yeah. I'm going to start my own whatever company. And you raise 17 million bucks and then you went to Indiana and they're like, oh, no, we'll give you the 17 million. We'll build the factory. Yeah. And you were like, oh, OK. I feel like I got 17 million bucks. It's mine now. And I'm trying to think of who. Now, everyone would try to figure out a way to keep the 17. A a small group of people would go, I have to give everyone their money back. A larger group of people would go, I got to figure out a way for no one to know I have this money. Like, it's probably a slightly larger group of people who would go into. So what I'm saying is, is I think most human beings and especially now not my mom but business people would go oh i just raised 17 million and now these guys are going to pay for the factory how can i figure out a way to keep this 17 million bucks now some people would go how do i figure out a way to legitimately keep this seven till yeah how do you million? treasure chest that or how do i do how do i keep half of it legitimately or how do i whatever which is what most business people do but a, a large a larger group or a large group would go, how do I do it and not have anyone find out? And probably the minority would be, give the money back to everyone who gave it to me. Right. But it doesn't have to be the give the money back. There's legit right. conversation of, we've got this. Let's treasure chest I, this. I Maybe we it. can bonus out the executives. The thing that was and, interesting is the Colin Chapman part yeah. because that guy was always – just the Lotus guy, and he was nobility yeah. in the race world. And I never heard any scuttlebutt about Colin Chapman, and he passed before this went down, I oh. guess. But how did that play out? Yeah, no, the Colin Chapman thing, I mean, a movie could be done on, on him. Yeah, where's, and, and where's so, his half of the 17? Well, <laughs> it's funny. So we, we, we interviewed 55 people for the film, which for me is a, you know, I'm coming at this project as, as a producer, but I'm also a DeLorean historian in terms of the fact that I've spent my life dedicated to learning about the car, the history of the man. That's how I befriended him late in his life and his kids. Drives an NSX, by the way. Well, and, and, and there's a tangential connection. Because it runs. No, also John DeLorean owned uh, two NSXs. Oh, really? I, I had extensive conversations with him. Uh, I've got a picture in front of his big estate when I went out to, to see him the first time, and he's, you know, it's in front of his yellow NSX in front of his big house, which is uh, coincidentally yellow. now the Trump National Golf Course, wow. which is the clubhouse, which is strange in itself. But um, yeah, I mean, going back to what we were saying before, I mean, the, the, there's a there's a, looking at the picture. Oh, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, so there's the picture of me and John, and uh, so now you can see why I had uh, Alec dressed in uh, in that same shirt for that last shot, <laughs> last yeah. shot in the movie. The uh, so Colin Chapman, oh yeah, it Colin basically Chapman. starts Lotus, right? Colin Chapman is the founder of Lotus. Now, what I was going to say that was interesting about the interviews we did. So there are only twenty five interviews that ended up making it in the film. One of the interviews uh, that I did was with Giorgetto Giugiaro, obviously one of the famous car designers of Italian design, and he's the one that penned the design of the Lotus Esprit as well as the DeLorean. And one of the first questions he asked me when I was in Italy, interviewing oh really? Him, yeah. Yeah, well, sorry. I was going to say the first gen Esprit is very DeLorean looking. Yeah. Absolutely, very that's sort of seventies wedge design. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also designed the BMW M1. So, the, so he has Whoa, that sort of a that's that makes sense. Yeah, his aesthetic. <laughs> so he's got he, one look. They, well, no, no, <laughs> that was his aesthetic at that time. But he's done a lot of stuff. Brilliant man. But one of the questions he asked me was, "Where have you interviewed Chapman?" 
And I said, come on, are you serious? He's like, well, you know, he's in South America. And I, and so there's a, there's a rumor out there, which I've known about as well. And there's a conspiracy theory that he faked his death. And he went to South America and lived out the rest of his years yeah. off of this embezzled money. And, and there's a lot of people because nobody ever saw the body. His wife was with him and she says he died and it was on a plane. It, there's a lot of strange things that circle this. And the fact that somebody like Giorgetto Giugiaro is even possibly thinking this is, is pretty amazing. What, what year would – mid-80s? What year did he die? It, it, no, he died uh, literally a oh. month after the drug bust. So end of 82. I don't feel like the nine million goes as far as you think it does from eighty two. Well, it to does. Now. It does in <laughs> South America. Um, well, so here's the thing. It's interesting because I was like, "Yeah, what happened to Chapman?" Yeah. And I don't remember a lot of fanfare around his death or even knowing if he was alive or dead. And you know, we're in an analog time. I mean, in eighty two, yeah. it was about we're getting to the end of you faking your death or like being <laughs> lost at sea. But it was pretty doable back then and nine million in in that part of the world would would keep you going yeah and that's a that's an interesting thought i'm i i poo poo every conspiracy theory but the colin chapman uh boys from brazil sort of thought and maybe was the the porsche guy that that recently died or disappeared was it andal there was a porsche guy recently disappeared yeah like I, within the past few years, I think. And oh, he's like, I don't. Or Gambala was it the Gambala guy? Gambala portion. I don't know. You're gonna have know. to find out. But we can't. <laughs> it's it's tough because I think Olivia Newton John tried it with her boyfriend, like on a fishing boat or something, a few years ago. That one's already been done, and it doesn't. It's just <laughs> hard. It's been done. It's harder to do because everyone <laughs> has like a gimmick. Everyone has like a ring doorbell with a camera in it. And shit, you <laughs> yeah, just can't really get right. away with the shit that you want to get away with yeah. anymore. Yeah. The UPS guy can't even show it without being on camera. Yeah, yeah I know, but it's weird. Like you can't. Like they go, oh, in in uh, in Brooklyn, there's a Hasidic Jew walking down the street, and a guy came up behind him and whacked him in the head. And they're like, all right, let's take a look. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, there's a camera. Like, you, you just can't, you can't no. punch a Jew anymore. No. What's this world coming to? Do I want to raise my son in, in a nation where he can't punch to Hasidim and go home and sleep like a baby without fear of reparation? Is that is that what you're saying? I don't want to live in that you world. You don't want to live in that world. No. So, uh, 82, I think this is believable. And I was like, and, and Chapman was also like nobility, right? Yeah, he was. I mean, listen, he had a chip on his shoulder because – and we don't get into any of this in the film, but it, it's parts that I find to be fascinating. Um, you know, he had a chip on his shoulder because he wanted – he needed money from the, the British government to keep Lotus going. They were always sort of on the brink of, of – Right. Of, still are. Yeah. There's, right. there's still. I mean, he was spending a lot of his time and money on the racing circuit and less on the, the production of the cars, the hand-built cars. And so he asked for about $20 million from the British government, and, and they had denied him. And then literally a week later is when they, when they released that they were giving $140 million to this American John DeLorean to build his sports car in Belfast. So he was, he was quite ticked because of that. And, and you know the fact that they came together to productionize the car was, was sort of you know, the perfect scenario of, of Colin being able to potentially sort of shove it to the British government. And that's, I think that's even more reason why they put together this whole GPD scam just to embezzle this yeah. money. Thanks for listening to another episode of Going Racing. New episodes available every week on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. 